First of all, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1, and then we're also going to be looking a little bit later, uh, well, we'll be reading both right away, uh, from 1 Corinthians 6. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. You can grab the one that's in front of you there in the the rack by the hymnal, and you'll find um, our first text, um, amazingly, on page 1. And then you'll find the second text, the 1 Corinthians text, on page 955. It's been interesting uh, over the last few weeks um, as people have commented to me uh, regarding uh, the preaching of these two messages on this Sunday uh, on the topic of sexuality and gender. Many people have commented to me in the last couple of weeks. The comment that I've received the most over the last couple of weeks has been, hey, we're praying for you. And you know what? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate those prayers. The second most common thing said to me over the last two weeks is, hey, did you draw the short straw on gospel priorities? And I would say, no, I'm pretty happy to have this. I imagine that the reason that I received those two comments from all of you is because we all understand the gravity of this topic when we think about sexuality and gender and applying the gospel, God's word on that, giving us a worldview for these things. And I know that this topic for many of us feels very overwhelming. It stirs up all kinds of emotions. And for some of us, it's a very sensitive issue. And so as we begin this morning, I want us to be aware of uh, three things. The first thing is this. In a room like this, with this many different people, we are all coming at this topic with a lot of different struggles, and we need to, to recognize that. Some of us in here are struggling with shame for our own sexual sin that we committed. Some in here are struggling with great pain for sin that was committed against them. There are struggles of pornography in this room. There are struggles of sexual orientation and desire that exist in this room. There are struggles of gender that exist in this room. I know that all of us in here... (laughs) All of us in here struggle with holiness in our sexuality. And many, if not most of us in here, have friends and family members that we care deeply about who are facing many of these issues as well. That's the first thing I want to make sure we're aware of. The second thing I want us to make sure we're aware of this morning is that we need to acknowledge as Christians that oftentimes when Christians talk about the issues of sexuality and gender, gender, we are seen by the unbelieving world as unloving, as unfair, and even dangerous. And sadly, we have been that sometimes. We have been unloving. We have been unfair. We've even been dangerous. But we at least as we discuss these things before God's word this morning, we need to acknowledge that reality that there's a feeling out there like that. And thirdly and most importantly, what I want us to remember this morning or be aware of this morning is that God, the creator God, knows everything about us and loves us deeply and desires to bless us. So it is in that context now I'd like to read first from Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, and then after that to go to 1 Corinthians 6. Please follow along with me in your Bibles. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to this moment and sitting under your word um, with great concern because these things are heavy on our hearts, touch us in many places, and certainly, Father, um, are experienced by our families and our friends. Lord, we want your truth. We need your truth. We need you to give clarity. We need you to bring healing. We need your compassion. So, Father, speak to us now, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want us to see two things, one from Genesis chapter 1 and one from 1 Corinthians 6, that I think for us will be a a starting point, a a foundation for us uh, as we grow, as we progress in our understanding of how to apply God's word and God's truth and the gospel to issues of sexuality and gender. We have to have a foundation for this, a place where we begin. So the two things that I want us to look at this morning, first from Genesis chapter 1 is this, that our bodies, our physical bodies, were wonderfully designed. And then later, from, Gen- from 1 Corinthians 6, that our bodies, our physical bodies, can be gloriously redeemed. Let's look first at this wonderful design of our bodies from Genesis chapter 1. You know, I've had friends, both Christian friends and non-Christian friends, tell me at different times or say to me at different times, you know, Todd, Jesus, Jesus never spoke or taught about sexuality and gender. And I say, no, that's not actually true. (laughs) And I take him to Matthew chapter 19 and I say, look here. See, in Matthew 19, the Pharisees brought a a, a trick, a plan to test Jesus. And they asked Jesus this question really because it was a a controversy in their time and they wanted to pit one side of this controversy against the other. And what they brought to Jesus was a question about a divorce law. Now, this divorce law was very male-centric. It was extremely unfair to women. But they were trying to trick him into this controversy of this issue. And when Jesus answered it, When he answered the question about a relationship in marriage between a man and a woman, what Jesus did in that moment is quote Genesis chapter 1 and also Genesis chapter 2. So for Jesus, the starting point 
on any issue having to be having to do with male and female and certainly any issue having to do with sexual union began with Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and so brothers and sisters this is a clear starting point for us to be able to see the beautiful truths of God's original design for our bodies I want to see three things about that original design I want first of all to us to realize that um, we were intentionally designed there was a there was an intent in this look what it says in chapter in chapter 1 of Genesis at verse 26 it said then God said let us make man in our image now if we had read all of Genesis chapter 1 you would have noticed that this is a change from what has been said on every other day of creation so for instance, if you look at verse 9 of chapter 1, it says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered. And verse 11, let the earth sprout forth vegetation. And then verse 14, and God said, let there be light in the expanse. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. And then verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And then notice in 26, instead of saying, let this happen, again, God, did, he says, let us in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. What's taking place here in the verses that follow is very intentional. Something, something clear and completely other than the rest of creation. And it says, let us make mankind, let us make humans in our image. And you see there in verses 26 and 27, three times it says, in our image, in our image. We are intended to be um, image bearers of God. Now, in the, in the cultural waters in which we swim, in the world in which we live right now, in Memphis, Tennessee, and in the state of Tennessee, and, and in America right now, what's being told to us and told to so many is, is that our bodies are accidental. And if our bodies are accidental, then they're incidental. In other words, if you don't believe that God created a, a human body with intent, if you don't think there's intentionality in you being created the way you are, then it would mean that your bodies are accidental. They're just a, a result of nature producing something that we didn't know originally get produced, but now it, there it is. And if your body is accidental, then it's incidental. If your body's accidental, then it really doesn't matter that much. A lot of times when I'm having discussions regarding sexuality and gender and these issues with friends and even family who are dear to me, they ask me these questions. They want to go to New Testament passages. I said, no, no, let's go to Genesis. And let's ask the question, did God mean something when he created us? Did he mean something? I think clearly Genesis 1 shows us that our body is not an accident. And I know every single one of us in here experiences every day some aspect of the brokenness of this world. Right? I mean, Genesis 3, the effects of Genesis 3, what takes place in Genesis 3, is impacting all of our bodies in some way or another. But in its original design, dear friends, there was intentionality. We were designed intentionally. Next, I want us to see that we were, in, we were designed correspondingly. It says there in, in uh, verse 27, so when God goes to, to, to make us, Mankind, it says that he created us male and female. 
Now, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, the description there that's given of creation is, is, the, is the big overarching picture. It's, the, it's, it's, it's almost like looking from, from up high and looking at all the things that took place in creation. And what happens in Genesis 2 is that Moses, the writer of Genesis, through the power of the Holy Spirit, zeroes in, telescopes down, especially to give us a better understanding of what God did when it says in verse 27 of Genesis 1, when he says he created the male and female, Genesis 2 shows us exactly how that takes place. So let's look over at verse 15 of chapter 2. You might need to turn the page or you might just need to look across the page. But look what it says, Genesis 2, beginning at verse 15. The Lord God took the man, that's just Adam now, Eve's not there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you must surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Let's pause there for a second. If we had read all the way from Genesis 1-1, you would have been alerted to this is different. You see, every other time on every other day, over and over again, we just hear God saying, it is good. It is good. It is good. And here he says, it's not good. And it's not Adam telling God. It's God telling Adam, it's God deciding in the Godhead, it is not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for them. Now, just to be clear, God wasn't bringing the animals before Adam because he thought one of those might work out. God had already decided that it was not good for Adam to be alone and that there was no suitable helper fit for him. So what's going on here? Well, where God understands that, that Adam needs a fit for him, he's making sure Adam understands that he needs a fit for him. And so then what happens next? Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And now the man, understanding his need, says this great poem. He burst out in poetry. Adam says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That is talking specifically about sexual union. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. We were designed correspondingly male and female. Twice it says there was not a helper fit for him before the animal scene and then after. Fit for him. In the Hebrew, the word for fit for him is kenego. And that word means corresponding. It means a match. It means, yes, there's many things that were the same, but there's some things that are different. And he has created, God has created this, this match for uh, Adam and Adam recognizes it that he recognizes the similarities 
of Eve to him. He says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. But he declares her as woman because he also recognizes the difference there. Now the culture around us, the, the, the word, the philosophy of the day when it comes to gender is this. People say gender is a social construct. And so we just need to figure out what we want our gender to be. Now on the one hand, if you define gender as an expression of your biological sex, hear me correctly because I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. If, if we're defining gender as an expression of our biology, then I think we have to admit that most expressions of gender out of our biology are truly socially constructed. Now hear me out what I mean by that. I mean that in different places and in different cultures and at different times, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman have had expressions in different ways, in different clothes, in different hairstyles. It hasn't always been exactly the same in every single place. And we need to be careful, Christians, to not... Uh, uh, to pull out certain uh, gender norms, I guess, and suggest that we get those from the Bible when they're not in the Bible. In other words, we don't need to say anything more about gender than what we find in Scripture. It's dangerous to do that, to pull up some idea of what it means to be a man and a woman and say, well, oh, this is what it really means to be a, a man of God and a woman of God when it's not in Scripture. Now, there are some things in Scripture but there's not as much as you and I think when it comes to the expression of gender. A lot of what it means is for you and I to walk in obedience to the Lord. And out of that will come the expression. So we do need to acknowledge that in some ways, gender is a social construct, but not entirely. Because the Bible does speak to women directly in certain ways and in certain places. And the Bible does have specific instruction for men in certain places and certain ways. And so we need to be careful. While we don't want to say more than Scripture says, we never want to say less than Scripture says. Well, what about, what about sexuality? Well, when the issues of sexuality come up in our culture right now, the prevailing philosophy is this. Love is love and no one, no one should tell you who you get to sleep with except you let's take those both of those let's take gender and let's take sexuality and let's look at scripture and see what we learn even as we think and from Genesis 1 of us being created designed correspondingly let's start with gender I love what Sam Alberry writes on this and speaks on this Sam Alberry listen any book that that guy has any podcast any message get it um, the Lord has gifted this man to understand what the scriptures have to say, and what they don't have to say regarding this. I love what Sam Alberry writes regarding gender. He says, our gender identity is not something we search for in our feelings. It is something we find in our physical bodies. Sam Alberry also writes this, maleness and femaleness are physically grounded, not psychologically determined. This is true, friends, when we look at Scripture. Our, 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 our expression of gender begins in our physical bodies. Genesis 1 speaks of us being created male and female. Genesis 2 goes even further to describe that pretty clearly. So, so if, you're, if you're looking at Scripture, there's, there's no way around from Scripture finding clarity that gender is rooted in our physical bodies. 
But you know what, this is also true even in science. Even though right now science is doing like backflips and somersaults to try to, as they say, as one friend said to me, well, he was told that, the sci that, that science is trying to catch up with culture. That is a, a ridiculous statement. Because the truth is, unless you do backflips, the reality in science is it's very clear regarding the issue of biological sex. But it's also just true in the observation of our bodies. Right, just in the body parts. There's a truth that there is a, a gender, that there is a corresponding gender. Now I know, I know that there are rare exceptions of those who are born anatomically incomplete. I know and I'm aware of that rarity. It is extremely rare, but it does happen. I would also want you to know that in that same chapter, chapter 19 of Matthew, when Jesus addresses the issue of this unfairness against women by going, taking them back to Genesis 1 to talk about how they were created male and female and how they were uh, to be corresponding in a sexual relationship, male and female, in that same chapter, Jesus, with compassion and gentleness, addresses specifically those who are born anatomically in incomplete. And I would commend us all as brothers and sisters in Christ that we live and act like our Savior when we come across people who are struggling in these areas, struggling in the issue of gender, struggling in the issue of body dysphoria, that we act like Jesus and we move in with gentleness and compassion. Even as we move in with the truth that is meant to, to bring us salvation. Well, what about sexual orientation and desire. How is that scripturally when it comes to this idea of our design uh, being designed correspondingly? Well, clearly, there's no way around Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. But before I say something there, let's, let's just come to the reality, the grip of the fact, like I said before, that we are all, regardless of where you are in, in your sexual orientation and desire, all of us as human beings are broken in our sexuality. All of us need Jesus to bring healing and sanctification to us. We need to be very careful, church, to elevate one particular sexual sin as something greater than some other sexual sin. In fact, we need to be careful even to elevate that against other sins. And I'm not talking about trying to water it down. I'm just saying when you look at Scripture and you look at where these kind of sexual sins are found, you're going to find them in lists. And in those same lists, you're going to find sins like gossip. So let's be careful that we're not singling out in a way that brings guilt and shame wrongly. We want to bring conviction. But don't don't single those things out. You know, if you actually study all of Scripture and look at if there is any sin that stands out in God's eyes as being the sin, the problem, you know what it is? This is, this is tough for me to hear. It's pride. That's the sin that stands out as the most grievous of sins. At the same time, there is no way to look at Genesis 2 verse 24 and 25, with any intellectual integrity and not see clearly what God is saying about design in sexual union. There's just no way around it. 
it's clear. We were designed correspondingly. And thirdly, we were designed purposely. Notice verses 28 through 31 of Genesis chapter 1. This is what is called um, the cultural mandate. It's the command of God to go out and to, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to take this creation that God has, has built and to, for, uh, for humans to go out and, and rule over it. Notice, though, that this command is given both to the man and the woman. It's given to both male and female. Sometimes that's missed. Sometimes we think, oh, this is what the man does. He goes out and does this. No, no, no. Look at verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them. You see, friends, it's in our maleness and our femaleness that we have a role to play reflecting God's glory. It's very important that you're a female. It's very important that you're a male. There's a purpose in it. And when both are present, we reflect the glory of God in much greater ways. Or as one person wrote, we are made male and female for the exalted purpose of representing God in this world. As his image bearers, male and female, God receives glory in this. In fact, it's so great and so amazing that God there in verse 31 says, he looked at it all and he said, it was very good. And the psalmist echoes that in Psalm 139, echoing God's affirmation of what he has created in the the purposeness, the design, the corresponding relationship between male and female. He burst out in Psalm 139, verse 14, it says, I praise God for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Ah, but we don't always experience that, do we? Instead, often, we just feel our brokenness in our bodies. We feel our shame. We feel our sexual desires out of sync with God's design. We feel confused about our bodies. Some of us feel damaged and hopeless. What are we going to do? Well, that takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and the truth that our bodies can be gloriously redeemed. Here Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, that's awesome. But let me give you the context of this and you'll really see how awesome it is. This is being said to the Corinthian church in the midst of unbelievable, an unbelievable array of sexual sin and extreme confusion about their bodies. I mean, if there was something that, that, that uh, the, the Corinthian church really struggled with, this is one of the main things. They had in their heads that there was a separation between their soul and their body, that their soul was spiritual, but that their body wasn't connected to spiritual things. So some of them in the church were like, you know what? Listen, my soul is spiritual, but my body is not. Therefore, I can do whatever I want to with my body. And they went and committed all these different kinds of sexual sins. Well, then there are other people in the church, again, not being confused about the purpose of their body. We're like, okay, my soul is spiritual. My body's not, my body's unspiritual. So I need to stop doing anything with my body in order to be more spiritual and they were actually not participating even in the the sexual design that God had for them in marriage relationships and so in the midst of that Paul is like okay I need to talk to you about your confusion about your bodies 
because of your sexual sin, because of your separating. And then he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says it male and female because over and over again in the in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing in a radical way the equality of men and women. Absolutely radical the way, the way that Paul describes it for that time. And as he does that, as he does that, he says male and female are temples of the Holy Spirit, your physical body. Look what it says in verse 15. We didn't read all of it. Look at verse 15. It says your bodies are members of Christ. Verse 17, you are joined to the Lord. We're talking this month and wrapping it up this evening about how we apply the gospel to different issues of our lives. Well, how do we apply the gospel to our, our sexual brokenness? We'll, we'll talk more specifically about that tonight, what, what Jesus brings to us in the midst of our shame. But see very clearly here as we apply the gospel in the big picture to our sexual brokenness and our physical bodies that God... In the Lord Jesus Christ, in becoming the incarnate son, in, in, in taking on uh, human flesh, joined himself with our bodies. The gospel is right, Christ coming down as the incarnate son, still fully God and yet fully man. So Christ in the incarnation joined himself to our bodies. And then through his death and his resurrection, joined us to him in spirit. And that's why it says there, you've been bought with a price. What's the price? The price is Jesus' blood paid for your body. Isn't it interesting? As one dear brother writes, the body we are often ashamed of, God wants for his own. That's the truth we find here. And so, Paul writes, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Now, this is not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a privilege. But let me just say this. I think sometimes in the church, we honestly, when it comes to the relationship between male and female and what it means to be male and female, we make way too much about marriage. Now, I know sometimes we, we make way too little about marriage. But I think a lot of times we're making way too much about marriage as if male and femaleness cannot be expressed except in the context of marriage. That would not be true to scripture. We were created male and female. And even Paul writes, hey, you know, doing ministry, it'd be better for you not to be married. You can give yourself fully to the Lord. And you do know the trajectory when we get to heaven makes clear that our relationships with each other are going to be so amazing that we actually won't be given in marriage. So it can't be all about marriage so we have to realize that our maleness and our femaleness is gloriously displayed within the body of Christ, whether we're married or not. You're not less of a human. <laughs> You're not less of uh, displaying the, the, the glory of God because of that in your body. We also need to recognize that fulfillment is ultimately in Christ. The world will tell us that fulfillment can ultimately only be found in sexual union. And if you're denied that, you can't be fulfilled. Well, then what about Jesus Christ the most fulfilled human to ever walk the earth, never married. Paul, at the time of writing this, is not married. He talks about the fullness of his life in Christ. You see, ultimately, our greatest joy and greatest fulfillment is found in 
our relationship with Christ where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives with me, in me. And the life I now live, I li- like the life I now live in the flesh, I now live in the one who gave himself for me. And so Paul can say, and he says this several times in Corinthians, whatever state you find yourself in, <laughs> whatever's going on with your body, Glorify, your, glorify God right there in your body. Glorify God with your body. This doesn't even get to the joy and the opportunity that exists in the future of our bodies. I, I don't have time to talk to us about 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul talks about the resurrection of our bodies, our physical bodies. You realize that at the end of the world, your body will matter. Because the redemption that God is working in your bodies if you put your faith in Christ is something that is going to have purpose all the way to the end of the world and Christ's return. Our bodies can be gloriously redeemed. What do we do with this? What do we do with this design, this redemption? What am I supposed to do now, Todd? Well, this is what I want you to do today. There might be work tomorrow, but this is the work for today. I want you to go home today, and I just want you to be thankful. That's what I want. I want you to rest in this reality, this wonderful design of being made male or female, and I just want you to thank God that he created you that way. And if you put your faith in Christ... I want you to thank the Lord for the glorious redemption of your body that has been taking place, that is taking place, that will take place. Just thank him. Today, just be thankful that there's dignity and hope for our bodies. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. Oh Lord, sink these things down deep into our hearts. Holy Spirit, apply them specifically to the areas that you know we need. Our minds and our hearts, Lord, where we struggle. You know how to apply these things with compassion and precision. Father, please do that. Because what we need most is fulfillment in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.